overwhelming job you ever had. You know that job that you were given at what point where you said, what are you asking me? Why are you asking me to do this job? Anyone, can you anyone think of the most overwhelming job you've ever had? Now, turn to your neighbor and share, share what that is. Go ahead. Over, most overwhelming job you ever had. Take a moment. Turn to your neighbor. Share with it. The most overwhelming. Well, I know what mine was. It was one of the first jobs I had coming out of high school. I got hired to drive a cat. Now, some of you don't know what that is. You think I'm driving a cat. Worse than that, they're called cat skinners. Driving a bulldozer, okay? So I was hired to drive a cat in the logging industry for the summer. Best paying job I ever had, 13 bucks an hour. It was amazing. Back in like 92 or something like that. Anyway, so, um, but here's the problem. I was hired by this guy, old fella named Chick. I'm not kidding. He hired me because my dad is an amazing cat skinner. You see the problem here? So my dad is an amazing cat skinner, and he really is. And so he figured, well, the son must be like the father, right? Now, I was a farm kid, so I had a general idea how equipment worked. But I got stuck in this wide pad thing, and I didn't really know how to drive it. I didn't really know what I was doing. Worse yet, um, I had to maintain the roads that truckers were going to drive on. Do you know how hard it is to keep a blade steady on a road? Do you know how hard that is? It looks easy when guys like my dad would do it. But I, I ended up making roads that were more like surfing. Guys were getting motion sickness in their trucks, okay? And so I'm, I'm trying to, oh, man, backblading was easier. But going forward was nuts, right? So I'm making these big divots and, oh, and I'm trying. And then, and then you try to fix the thing you made, and then you make it worse. And then I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do here. So then you kind of rip it all up again and try to fix it again. Pulling trucks when it was muddy. Ripping bumpers off trucks. Um, doing things like that. I had no idea. Now, I did get better through the summer. I didn't get fired over it. But man, was I overwhelmed because I realized I'd been given a job that was way too big for me. But maybe you've also been the person who gave the job to someone else. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe you gave your kid a job, or maybe it was a new employee at work. You gave them a job, and, and you realized, <laughs> maybe, maybe too late, but you realized along the way, oh, they do not know. They do not know how to do this job. They don't have what it takes. They don't have the strength to do it. They don't have the experience to do it. They don't have the dexterity to do it. They don't have the know-how. You know, I have given them a job that was uh, too big for them. Ever had that experience? Or maybe you've worked with someone, you realized maybe they've been given a job that was too big for them. Well, through this series in Ephesians, this whole summer series, we've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote. It was a circular letter that was meant to go around to these different Christian communities, and it was meant to help them understand that God has a big plan to use a bunch of little people, us, the church, a big plan to take what Jesus did on the cross and make it real for the whole world, or as the Bible puts it, to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to himself through Christ, and somehow to make that reconciliation known and real through the church. And if you've been tracking with us all summer, you've been hearing this over and over again. And if you haven't, if you've missed a few because of, uh, you know, holidays and travel, we all know what summer's like, we encourage you to keep up online. Go to the website, listen to the messages as they're posted, or, or track it through iTunes, whatever, so that we can, we can travel together through this. But you've been hearing this if you've been tracking with us. But when we hear this big plan, I want to I say, really? 
I mean, can I speak very frankly for a moment? Can we really do this thing? Are we able to even see this realized? Because God's vision is huge. God is scheming of, of nothing less than the total and complete reconciliation of all things in Christ. Eliminating every evil thing. Healing every broken relationship. Restoring every degraded place. Redeeming every harmful event. Including every lost soul. Reaching every forgotten person. This is what God's up to. That all nations, all people would no longer be at war with one another, but would now be one together in the same family under God. That, that men and women who've been estranged from each other have been, have been you know, estranged from God, their maker, that, that now they've been restored in right relationship, yes, with each other and with the God who loves them. Even realities that are beyond our view are pictured. Paul talks about these overarching principalities and powers and spiritual forces, these, these cultural and spiritual powers that, that seem to affect us and even direct us in ways that we often can't even put our finger on and you know, affecting us in ways that we don't even want to be affected. That all these hidden things will be brought under Jesus. They'll be fixed or repaired or restored or made right again or, or eliminated altogether. There'll be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more betrayal. All things will be well. But this is what God is up to. He's, he's making this goodness real in the world. And he's doing it through us. He wants the world to begin to experience his love and his grace through us as we experience his love and his grace. He, he wants people to start getting in on what he's planning for the future. He wants them to start getting in on it now, even as we start to get in on it now. He wants creation to begin to experience his goodness through us now as, as we experience and as we pass on his goodness to all those around us. Maybe you've heard it like this before. I know I've said it before. It's like God is taking what he intends to do in fullness in the future. He takes a bit of that and he drags it back into the present so that we begin to experience a part of what he's going to do in fullness in the future. And he, he wants to do that. And he wants to do that in us. And he wants to do that through us in the world. As we love others. As we seek reconciliation. As we forgive those who've hurt us. As we cross racial divides in friendship. As we welcome strangers into our circles. As we care for God's earth all around us. As we listen. As we serve. As we sacrifice. As we give. As we worship. And as we praise the God who is making all of this real here and now. I don't know about you, but here's what I think. If God wants to do something that big through us, then he is going to have to do something super big in us. If that's God's big plan, to do all of that somehow through us, then he is going to have to do something in us. Because the job seems too big. I'm overwhelmed by the thought. I, when I think of what God wants to do just through us as the Erickson Covenant Church, just here in this valley, and that's pretty small, you understand. A few people in a backwater orchard valley that no one knows. You know, just what God wants to do through us here is overwhelming, let alone what God wants to do through His church world over in every community that they're in. It's mind-blowing. When I think of that, I feel that we're too weak. 
I feel like we're too, too confused, too stupid. Not you, but me. I feel we're too apathetic. We're too distracted. We're too empty. That's how I feel. That we lack the resources and, and the means and the ability to really do what God wants to do through us. Anyone ever feel like that? Do you feel like that personally? Do you feel like that when you look around the room? When you look around our, our world, even our own valley, you think, does the church really have what it takes? I think, I think that that's why right now, here in this letter in the Ephesians, after Paul's been talking all about this plan, I think that's why he does what he does right now in Ephesians. I think he knew that we'd be feeling this way. Because after waxing rhapsodic about this big, mysterious plan of God that's been made known now, of how he's going to redeem everything through Jesus and make it known to the church, Paul steps back to pray for us. Specifically, that God would do something big in us so that he can do this big thing through us. And I don't know about you, but I really need this prayer. And I think we really need this prayer. God's people needed it back then, 2,000 years ago, and we're in just as much need of it now. So today, we're going to go through this prayer that Paul prayed for the church, for us. We're going to walk through it. We're going to you know, try to understand it a little bit. And then we're going to respond to this with some more time of worship and song. If you're wondering why we only did two songs at the start, I guess three if you count them all. That's why. We want to give an opportunity to respond to this. Now, you may have a booklet. Chuck, are there some more booklets there? Chuck, uh, if you, we've, we've produced these little booklets. It's just the scripture text with a lot more room in there for notes and for doodling, for art, you know, reflection. Um, and so if you don't have a booklet, put up your hand and Chuck will bring it to you. It's the text of Ephesians in the New Revised Standard Version. And Tess, good to see you, Tess. Good to see you. Tess would like one, Chuck, and Lynn as well. Great. Keep your hand up, Lynn, so that Chuck sees you, okay? We're starting in Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. This is what we're looking at today. And right there, Sheila, Chuck. Can you help, Dana? Make sure she takes one. Yeah. It starts off like this. For this reason. Now, it doesn't take, you know, much thought to realize if he's saying, for this reason, we've got to ask, what reason? What reason? Well, Paul is going to pray. He says, for this reason. And he's, he's referring back to what he just stated. And last week, Dana uncovered all this for us. It's about God's big mystery that's now been revealed. It's what we've been talking about. How he's going to make everything right. He's going to reconcile everything to himself through Jesus. And, surprise, surprise, he's actually making that known and real in the world through the church. That's God's big mysterious plan that's now out in the open. For this reason, that's the reason Paul prays. Because of all this big plan, Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Right off the bat, Paul roots his prayer in the fact that God is not only the God and the creator of the world, but he's the Father of us all. And the foundation of his prayer is that God is God's rightful place as the Father of all. What, what this means is that the Father is the one, the only one, who has the right to bring anyone into his family. To make 
his family what he wants his family to be. As, as we've been hearing, to make his family this one new multi-ethnic humanity. This one people, this holy temple. That, that's what the Father is doing. He's the one who brings them together, who makes them a reconciled body where they're, they're, they're now one together, they're reconciled, they're living out that reconciliation. And then through that body, they're a reconciling agent in the world. They're bringing about the healing and restoration of the world through their life together and through the mission that he's given them. And so what does Paul pray for? He prays for four things. Four critical things that have to happen in us, that God has to do in us, in order for this mysterious plan that's now been unveiled to actually happen through us. Let's walk through these four prayer points together. First, Paul prays for a strong church. Verse 16, I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Holy Spirit. When it all begins to dawn on us, what God is really up to, what he really wants to do through us, the men and the women and the children that he wants to restore, the racial divides that he wants to destroy, the way he wants to bring us together, the way he wants to love on the outcast and include all those who are far away, when that really begins to dawn on us, we immediately realize We need more strength than we have. That in order to pursue God's mission, God's way, we'll need God's strength. Strength that comes only from the Holy Spirit. You know, all through God's story, if you dip back into the Old Testament and you read these great stories about people, very real people, very flawed people, but people that God used. When God called someone up, and commission them to do something for him, for his people in the world, he would place upon them his Holy Spirit who would give them power for the task they were given. And we've often talked about that, how in the Old Testament, prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, who's poured out on all people, this is how it would work. The Holy Spirit would kind of come on a, a king or a judge or some guy threshing wheat and hiding out from the enemies. Or different people, would. the Holy Spirit would come and, Maybe a prophet would come along. Maybe an angel would show up. And people would be commissioned for this special job. And they'd be given the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit, so that they have the strength and the wisdom and the power and the means, the strength to do the task that God had given them to do. Even early in the New Testament, we have examples of that. Like Mary, like John the Baptist, where the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes on them in power. Even Jesus himself, the beginning of his ministry, receives power from the Holy Spirit. The earliest Christians, when they, after Jesus had died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, they were told to wait. Jesus said, wait, because the Holy Spirit's coming, and after the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive what? Does anyone know that verse? Power. Yeah. After the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be my witnesses right here in your hometown, and then out into the extended regions around your town, and then to the very ends of of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes this time, not just on a few individuals, but on the whole people of God. Young men, young women, old men, old women, all across generations, all across ethnicities, comes across and on top and into the people of God, giving them power for the mission that he's given them. Why do we need this strength? 
Well, because I think when it comes to really loving other people, not loving the buddies you always love, not loving the people that are super simple to love because when you look in the mirror and you look at your friend, you look pretty similar. They're easy to love, right? But when it comes to loving the kind of people that the Father has the nerve to include, you can feel that sometimes. When, when it comes to loving the people that God is bringing into the church, into his family, bringing and setting them down at his dinner table, when it comes to loving people that look different than us, think different than us, are from a different culture than us, have a different language than us, have a different backstory, use different, different you know, ways of managing, when, 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 we, when we have to love those people, we can realize how quickly, how selfishly weak we really are. Because those people are hard to love. Some of you are even hard to love. Amen. And we need the strength of the Holy Spirit deep down inside in order to draw on for this mission that God has given us to do. To be this one new humanity. Which includes all these different people that God is reconciling back to himself through Jesus. And when I think of that kind of love, when I think of what's needed, when I think of the mission that God has given us, I often feel weak, and I often feel that we are weak. But you know what? You know what Paul's doing here? When we acknowledge the weakness, that's when we turn to our Father and say, wow, we need your strength. Holy Spirit, come and give us strength inside for the mission that you've given us to do. And this is what Paul prays on our behalf. He knows we're weak. He knows that every Christian community that has ever gathered anywhere at any point in history is weak. And it is in our weakness that God's power is revealed. It's in our weakness that God is shown to be strong. Because people can say, and they look at, that, look at us and say, wow, there is just no way those people would be that loving if it wasn't that God's strength was in them. There's just no way they'd be, they'd be doing the things they're doing and reaching the people they're reaching and being the people they're being if the Holy Spirit wasn't in them. They might not articulate that way, but they realize if it was just them, this would be a wash. And that's true. And so we pray with Paul that we would have strength inside us, deep inside us, individually and as a community. Strength from the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that you would grant that to us. Next. Paul prays for a loving church. He says, so he prays that you know, we'll be strengthened in our inner being by the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and established or rooted and grounded in love. Now these things are, of course, connected. Jesus dwells in his people by the Holy Spirit. And it is only because of the Holy Spirit's power and the presence of Jesus that we are able to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, when Paul prays this, let's pull this apart a little bit. When Paul prays be rooted and grounded, he uses two common metaphors for the people of God. Rooted, of course, is the organic metaphor. The idea of a big tree that's pushing the roots down deep into the soil, into the nutrients, into the strength, into the, into the water systems. This is, this is this image of being down deep in love. Grounded or established, as I alluded to other translations, is an architectural metaphor. And it alludes to God's people being a building, or better yet, because if you've been reading along in the letter to the Ephesians, 
at the end of chapter 2, he talks about God's people being a holy temple rising to God in which God's Spirit lives. And so we can even hear and hear an echo of that as we are established on a foundation of love. Paul links this presence of Jesus with the love that we have for each other, which is, which is no surprise because this is actually all over the place in the New Testament that how we love each other is completely connected with how we receive and give love to Jesus. One of the most famous places Jesus said this was back in John's Gospel, the fourth of the stories of Jesus. And Jesus, when he's giving some teaching to his disciples, he said this. He said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So so get this. If you keep my command, what's his command? Love each other as I have loved you. That's the command. If you keep that command to love each other, you will remain in my love. Do you see the connection? It's as we love one another that we remain in the love of Jesus. It's as we are connected to each other that we stay connected to the one who loves us and made us and lives in us by his spirit. The evidence that we're connected to Jesus shows up in the way that we love each other. And not just a cozy, superficial love, slap each other in the back, smile, yeah, be fine, do all that. That's not what it's talking about here. This is a reconciling love that goes after one another, that seeks to right what's been wrong, that forgives with grace when others have hurt you, when you felt misunderstood, if you felt betrayed. It's the kind of love that restores the broken, that goes after the broken, that won't let the broken off, won't let them just leave. It goes after them. That gives life to those who feel excluded or discouraged. It's this kind of love. And Paul prays that we'll be this kind of church with Jesus at the very center of our life together, that we would be like this giant tree that's rooted and established in love, like a cathedral rising to the heavens. The greatest sign of Jesus' presence in us is our love for each other. And that's why Jesus said in another place of the world, the world, the world, this world that he longs to reconcile, the world will know that I'm real, that I've come by your love for each other. See how that's connected to God's big plan to reconcile the whole world to himself? He wants to bring reconciliation and healing and love through us. But as we've said before, in order to do it through us, it's got to be happening in us. We've got to be living out that reconciliation. We've got to be rooted and established, rooted and grounded in love in order to bring that love to the world. And so Paul prays this. And as we pray it, as we pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith as we are, so that we are rooted and grounded in love, as we pray that, there may be someone in your life that you realize you are not reconciled with, that you've got to make it right. Maybe a brother or a sister that you've been, you've been hurt by. Or maybe someone that's become estranged for you. Or someone, they don't even know what's going on, and yet you've started to avoid them. I don't know what it is. But unless we are living the reconciled life that Christ has given for us, It's going to be hard for us to bring reconciliation to anyone else. And so Paul prays that we, as his people, would be rooted and grounded in love. And Jesus, we pray that that would be true in us. That we, as the Erickson Covenant Church, would be rooted and grounded in love. The third thing Paul prays for is for a knowing church. Knowing, in particular, the love 
of Jesus for us. The, the, the love we've talked about specifically, the, the, the angle is more to do with our love for each other. This now is understanding the love of Jesus. He says in verse 18, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, all the people of God down through history and present today, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What a powerful prayer. What a a thing to ask for. Because there's a big difference between knowing about something. We can know about the love of God. But to know it for real. I mean, someone who's never tasted honey in their lives. You could describe a lot of what it's like, right? It's sweet. Maybe it's a little bit of a granular taste. It's, It's sticky. You don't want it on your hands and then touch your iPhone. You don't want that. But until they've actually tasted it for themselves, will they ever really understand the taste of honey? I remember one time, years ago, I was on a mission trip, and I was in some far-flung place, island, off the coast of the Philippines. This was pre-YouTube, pre-internet, pre-everything, prehistoric, as far as everyone under 20 is concerned. And so I remember describing to a young kid ice skating. How do you describe ice skating to a kid who has never in his wildest dreams imagined a body of water frozen. That's a frightening idea, by the way. Anyone who's never... All the only concept of ice he had was the ice, you, you know, an ice box or ice you get in your Coke. But skate on ice? So how do you describe skates? We strap knives to the bottom of our feet. And we... Float around on water that's hard, you know, frozen, like the ice in your coke. Okay, tough stuff. So you can imagine that this kid, who's now 45, um, looks on YouTube and can see people skating. Well, that's a much better, and now they kind of get what skating might look like. But, you know, there'd be nothing, nothing like him strapping on skates, as I saw lots of people newly fresh into Canada, in Calgary, learning to skate. There's just nothing like that experience, right? There's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something. And and Paul wants God's people to really know how big, how wide, how long, how high this love of Jesus is, is, and to know it in a way that actually goes beyond just knowledge, goes beyond just mentally understanding it, intellectually being able to describe it. A couple things about this. This big love of Jesus is totally connected to this big reconciling plan that God has for the world. The breadth of Christ's love talks about how wide the love of Jesus is to include all people, Jews and Gentiles, you know, Croatians, Canadians, Ethiopians, Indonesians, indigenous peoples all the world over. Some of the people that you've grown to enjoy in friendship some of the people that you've come to love, love and some of the people you've come to fear and loathe because perhaps what the news media has sold you. All those people, the love of Christ is wide and desires to include all of them into his body. The length of Christ's love that goes out into all the world, that sends his people everywhere in the world, down through history, to show the love of Christ, the good news of what God has done, to go to any length to see it happen. The height of the love of Jesus 
over these principalities and these powers and these spiritual forces, these cultural systems, that Jesus' love is higher than even that and the depth of His love that would go to the lowest of the low, the most degraded, the most lost, would actually go into death itself, into hell itself. That's how deep is the love of Christ. It's all connected to this big reconciling plan that God has for the world. And he wants us to know this love, to really get it inside us. This is how big and how wide and how long and how high the love of Jesus is. And then he talks about this love that surpasses knowledge. He's not describing a love that can't be known. This is very important. In other words, it's not suggesting that somehow it goes beyond knowledge and now you don't really know anything. You just kind of float around and I don't know what. That's not what it's talking about. It's because to know the love of Jesus is to know Jesus himself. It's to be in an intimate, growing relationship with him. And Jesus is someone who is far greater, who, who is so much bigger, so much or more unimaginably beautiful and complex and magnificent that we could spend and we will spend the rest of eternity trying to plumb the depths of his person. And we'll never get there. But we will be coming you know, we will be knowing him more and more. We will be understanding him more and more. We'll, we'll grow in our, our grasp of how he is and how he responds and how he thinks and how he loves. This will grow in us, but his depths will never be plumbed. We'll never reach the extent of who he is. I mean, just think about creation itself. Think about the ocean depths in our world. You know, the ocean depths and our knowledge of the, the, the ocean is, is like minimal compared to what's actually there. Think about the galaxies around us. Even less. We know even less. Whether you go out to the galaxies, you know, far-flung galaxies, or whether you go down to the quantum level within just this world itself, we recognize, we're humbled by the fact that we're starting to know a few things. But we realize how much we don't know. Right? We realize how much more there is. This vast, amazing, complex, beautiful difficult to understand, world that God has created. Well, think about it. That's the world God created. Now we're talking about coming to know the one who created this world, who created the galaxies, who created the quantum level of this world, which I don't even claim to understand, even the little bit that people know. This is the one who created all that, through the power of his word. So just think, coming to know him, He is so much greater, so much more vast, so much more amazing, so much more beautiful and complex, and yet we're invited into a relationship with Him. It's a real relationship. We can come to know Him, but there will be no depth. There will be no height. There will be no place in which we can come where we finally say, oh, we got this. We got it. Thanks, Jesus. No. As we come into relationship with Him, we realize We are in relationship with someone far greater. This is a beautiful way to pray. It's a beautiful way to pray because for some of us, we feel often unknown. We feel lost. We feel like we can't even get a handle on what's going on. What a beautiful way to pray for yourself. What a beautiful way to pray for a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter. To pray that, that they would know how high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of Christ for them. And how he longs to show the people around them in their lives, in their workplace, in their schools, and on the streets, and in this valley, to show them 
how high and how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ through them? What a, what a prayer to pray. What a prayer to pray for us as a church. That we would really understand this. That we would really let it get down deep. That we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. That isn't just about checking a box or saying, you know, I know this or I know that. But this deep, intimate knowing of the person of Jesus Christ. What a prayer. Well, finally, Paul caps off this prayer by praying for a full church. All of this so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that. I think by now, though, we are kind of full. I mean, if we've received the strength of God's Holy Spirit with Christ dwelling deep inside of us and love being the very foundation of our life together, and if we're growing in our ability to comprehend together with all of God's people the amazing love of Jesus, well, at that point, I think we're getting pretty full already. I mean, how much more room is there? He prays that we filled with all the fullness of God, that where the Spirit is and where the Son is, there the Father is also. And Paul simply prays that we would not be a semi-full or a partially full, but a full church. Because I think that's the goal. That as God does this work in us and fills us up, then the work that he's going to do through us is a result of the overflow of what God is doing in us. Does that make sense? That as God fills us up with the fullness of all that he is, that the work of reconciling he longs to do through us in the world and on your street and in your business and in your school, the things he longs to do here in the Crested Valley through the Erickson Covenant Church and the other local churches here, and then through local churches all around the world, that that work he longs to do is going to be the result of us working on a half-empty tank. But rather, on baskets, on cups, on lives that are overflowing with the fullness and the goodness of God. With the love of Jesus that knows no depth, no height, no length, no breadth. This is not something we can just conjure up as a community. This is not something we can just try harder to do. I think we really need to get this. This is not something that we can just strategically decide to tweak this and tweak that so that we can do the job that God has given us to do. If we can do that, the job is too small. And we've misunderstood it. This is not something that we can just be left to our own natural giftings and strength to accomplish. This is something big that God desires to do through us that can only come as we earnestly and passionately seek God's face and ask Him to do in us what He longs to do in us. And this prayer that Paul offers us gets us toward that. All of it, so that God's big mysterious plan that's now open would happen and He would receive the glory as being the one who has brought it all back together. And Paul concludes his prayer with this. He says, Now to him who by the power at work within us, do you hear that? To him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Just stop there for a moment and realize what God wants to do through us, even just little old us, weak little us. What God wants to do through us is beyond our imagination. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. As God wins back the world that he loves 
through the church that he's empowered, he receives glory as being the one who has made it all right again. He's the one we worship and we follow. We are going to worship now in responses for a few minutes. And I ask that we would do this together. We would take this prayer. Keep your booklet out. That we would take this prayer and we would have this prayer in front of us as we now sing of these particularly songs around the love of God and who Jesus is. I'm going to ask my worship team to come forward now. We're going to pray this prayer together as we respond to the song. But I also want to ask you this morning, and I debated how I should do this. I thought about asking for hands. I thought about a lot of things. But you know, here, I'm just going to make a straight-up appeal to you. I want to ask you that you would commit to praying this prayer for our church, for, su- for the summer at least. What I'd really like to do is ask you to continue praying this prayer until the day you die. For some of you, that'll only be a few years. Some of you, it'll be decades. Not being morbid. They'll join the saints. It's, it's cool. They're all praying for us. Listen, pray this prayer for the church. Pray this prayer for the local churches here in this valley. Pray this prayer for the Erickson Covenant Church. Pray it for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that this would be true in us. And I'm just going to ask you flat out to please do this, to write it down. Rip out this booklet if you have to, but I prefer you to print it out again. Put it on your phone. Put it in your car. Put it on your fridge. I don't care where. But do it in a way that reminds you to pray for the Erickson Covenant Church. Pray for the local churches in the Creston Valley. Pray for the church worldwide. That this would be true in us. So that what God wants to do through us will be accomplished. Would you do that? Would you pray this prayer? And now together, let's continue in this prayer as we sing back to God. As we sing to one another, particularly of the love of Jesus for us.